Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Derek Brown, partner with Lincoln Hill, Heidi Hatch, anchor with KUTV2 News, and Spencer Stokes, president of Stokes Strategies. So glad to have you with us. A lot happening in politics in the state of Utah, a lot happening locally as people start looking at their candidates. I want to start talking about some conventions that are happening. And Derek, I think we're going to start with you because you've had to be in charge of conventions on the Republican side of the aisle for a while. Some very big conventions happening in the state of Utah, particularly in Davis County. Ten counties in this past week had their conventions. More coming. Talk about what happened right there as we start setting the stage for some of the other counties that are coming up. Well, I think what's interesting is, is the caucus night has everything to do with what happens at convention. And this year, one of the interesting dynamics is no one really knew when caucus was. I mean, it was a, it was a perfect storm of sorts. In fact, there was an actual storm as well that night. I mean, in Davis County, it snowed on caucus night. And so you have a, a perfect storm where people don't necessarily know when it is, where it is, the dates have changed. It's a different date from the Democrat Party. And that has everything to do with the outcomes. And I think the outcomes of caucus night had everything to do with a convention where I think uh, there was a lot more of the sort of hardliner influence that took over. And you saw that in some of the results. Mm -hmm. uh, Spencer, it's always interesting to see what happens as you go to the convention, because that is a byproduct, as Derek just talked about, the people that show up for the caucuses themselves. Talk about what we saw in Davis County uh, with the people who showed up. And there were not many people on those caucus nights, which means sort of bigger influence from some of those delegates that are chosen. Tell us what you saw there that may give an indication of what's coming. Well, it didn't help that, I think for the first time in my memory, and Derek maybe knows different, but uh, that the parties did not align on the same night. So the Republican caucus was on a Tuesday night, and the Democrat caucus was later. And so you didn't have the the joint media, the joint press, yeah. the joint on, on the caucus. I, I didn't hear in my local congregation any announcement of it, which has happened typically in the past. Um, and so then you had the storm. But at convention, you have the hardcore people at convention. And this is something that I think uh, is a tactic of, of uh, very conservative folks. They, they are always going to go to their caucus, to their convention. They're going to show up at the primary. And, you know, at the state convention, they try to debate everything for as long as they can and let all the people who have a soccer game to go to or a life, they leave the convention and you end up with 30 percent by yeah. the end of the convention. So, but you did see some, some, there were more, in my opinion, there were more uh, conservative folks that decided to run and challenge incumbents than I've seen in the past, and they did better at the conventions. Mm -hmm. And I think what, largely what happens is people say, well, you've, you've already got your signatures, you're going to be on the ballot anyway, so I'm going to vote for this person who won't make it to the ballot otherwise, and so we'll have a primary. 
Heidi, let's talk about a couple of those because it's interesting what happened in yeah. Davis County. So you have some kind of just some some long term long term members of the Senate, for example, Senator Jerry Stevenson moved to a primary. You had uh, 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 Steve Handy who actually lost there, and so I'm kind of curious. Some of those more moderate uh, candidates, you know, either forced to a primary in one case out. What does that mean uh, going forward to who we're going to see uh, during the primaries? Well, I think the interesting part here is that I think there's a lot at play. Over the last four years, we've kind of gotten out of the practice of going to the caucus convention system. Now you can have those primaries going on because you can get the signatures and get on the ballot. And I think over the last couple of years especially, I think there's been a lot of frustration within the party or people who are stuck at home thinking about, do I like what's going on with my government? And so I think that maybe you're seeing a more conservative, you know, far-right push on the right and the same on the left. And so I think it sort of feels Tea Party-ish again, where we were dealing with back in 2009, 2010-ish. So I always like the idea of having more options on the ballot, but definitely makes it harder um, for people who, you know, are used to having their seat or going. And I'm excited to see how it plays out because, like I said, you know, the caucus convention system used to be that way, you know, or no way at all. And now there's a lot more options, which means we'll have more options on the ballot. And it certainly could change representation for people who chose not to show up or thought, you know, my showing up doesn't really matter I, anymore. I think I agree with, with Heidi, but a lot of times I think we, we try to assign uh, some kind of political movement to what happens. And, and largely, sometimes it's that people get outworked. Um, I know that the, the candidate that was running against Steve Handy went to everybody's doors and was having conversations with them. I, don't, I didn't hear the same thing about Steve Handy. I think Jerry Stevenson thought, well, you know, I've done a good job and I've lived here all my life and, and so maybe didn't, didn't do as much as he should have to secure the, the delegate nomination. So a lot of times I think we try to assign some political movement to whether or not a person worked harder than the other, or, or, or there was some movement happening rather than working harder than the other person. So you were just relaxed at that yeah. point. Can uh -huh. I add, when I was the state party chair, people always had said, do you like that process of the convention caucus? And I always said, I, I love the process, but it really has everything to do with the turnout. The more people that participate, mm -hmm. the better the result. And I think if you have a very slim turnout, you see, a lot of these things that they've just mentioned uh, sort of come to fruition, and I think that you have a small group that tends to have sort of an outsized influence, mm -hmm. and I highest, think that may be what you see right now. The highest turnout in post-Tea Party year, which was 2010, was the year that Orrin Hatch was on the ballot, and everybody said, mm -hmm. oh, Orrin just turned so many people out. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the LDS Church made an announcement that said, we will not be holding any meetings in our building on Tuesday night, which was a clear indication, you better show up at your caucus. And the caucuses were overwhelmed, which then more people tended to give a more moderated view, a broader view of what the Republican Party looked like. And, and that was largely, it wasn't, it wasn't because Dave Hansen was a master, he's a, great, he's a great operative, but it was because the letter said, there will be no, build, there will be no meetings in our buildings on Tuesday night. And you knew where dad wanted you to be that night. You know, it's like, it's your choice, but. Exactly. This year was exactly the opposite, opposite. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Derek, I, before we leave, so I just want to ask you, because you're uniquely qualified to talk about this, and it will come up through a couple of our discussions today, too. You had to live through the issue about signature gathering and whether or not. Okay. I don't want to bring up <laughs> yes, too much pain for you. Uh, but I'm did still that working come, through that. But. I know you are. So did that issue come up in the Davis County uh, Convention at all? And is it going to be an issue that comes up going forward in, in Salt Lake and Utah it's, County? You know, it, it was a huge issue. 
issue, and it was probably the thorniest issue I dealt with as, as the state party chair, but I think it's less and less of an issue. I think when you have a smaller and smaller group of individuals who have what seems to be or is perceived to be an outsized influence, I think people are now starting to see signatures as a moderating influence overall. And so I think that the stigma of, oh, this person collected signatures, therefore they're a bad person, well, you should vote against them. I think those days are, are fast coming to an end, and I think you're going to see less of that moving forward. And so I, I know they use that in the Davis but, County, but, the but it wasn't really, I mean, I, I don't think that was that big of an issue. The divisiveness, no. though, within the party went away when the people who were divisive that had some money and stopped giving tended to push it off the table. I mean, if, if, I'm, a, if I'm an activist, a party activist, my issue would be I don't believe Republicans or Democrats should be able to vote in Republican elections. That's what their new mantra ought to be. You can vote in a Democrat primary or a Republican primary, but how would the Democrats feel if all the Republicans went over and voted in the, the Democrat primary and vice versa? And so if I were a grassroots, conservative, hardcore Republican, that would be my new issue rather than gathering signatures. Yeah. And it seems to be there's a lot of people mad about that. Yeah. It does. It does. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be a play in the Republican primary. And so, Heidi, uh, we just finished the Hinckley, the Hinckley Institute of Politics, Desert News just finished some polling to see how these candidates are doing. I want to talk about the Senate race, Senator Mike Lee's race in particular. I want to give you a couple numbers and get a comment about where you think Mike Lee is uh, based on these numbers. Uh, and the question was, if the Republican primary were held today and all the candidates who have filed on the Republican side uh, were, uh, were in this poll, 67 uh, percent uh, said they would vote for Mike Lee. And keep in mind, I should say, these are people who say, I will register as a Republican or I am registered as a Republican and I plan to show up. 67% Mike Lee, 19% uh, Becky Edwards, uh, Ali Isom at, at 4%, Evan Barlow at 6 I'm just giving you the top candidates uh, in terms of their percentages. So the interesting thing is, I think there's no such thing as bad press in an election year right now, as long as it's not too bad of press. But Senator Mike Lee is a name that people know. He's a household name. And so in polls, he's going to be a lot higher and he's going to have, a, I think, a lot better chance. Interestingly enough, when you look at social media, there's been a big push, I think, from some of the moderates and even some on the left for uh, Ali Isom or Becky Edwards, who obviously have put in the work, they've got the signatures to be there. But I still think that uh, Senator Lee really has, you know, a couple steps ahead of them because he's got name recognition. He's in the Senate right now. Uh, he's being loud, even if it's not about things that everyone loves. Uh, people are talking about him and what he's doing and how he's voting right now. I was more interested that Evan Barlow, who hasn't done a thing, was, was ahead of, of Ali, exactly. who's been yeah. out campaigning all over the state. And I've come to the conclusion that people think it's Haven Barlow, not Evan Barlow. Mm -hmm. Or Evan uh, McMullen, perhaps. Evan McMullen. So I, I don't know. Of some yeah, sort. Yeah. Yeah. Two different people. <laughs> yes, exactly. Very, very interesting. Let's see how this plays uh, in terms of the signature gathering, because interesting. Senator Mike Lee has already uh, had his votes, his, his signatures approved, and Ali Isom, Derek, just, just announced this week that she was exactly. also. Becky Edwards is also planning on. I'm getting so, she's in the so, process as well. Yeah, so she's getting close, is what I understand as well. How does this play out when you know at least those three people are guaranteed a spot on that primary list? Well, I, I think the reality is still what it comes. It's sort of what Heidi was saying. People know who Mike Lee is. They know what he stands for, even if they don't necessarily agree with all of his issues. I, I think when when it comes to the actual voting, 
they know where he stands. And even if you don't like him, you know where he stands. And I think that means something. And that's one of the reasons that I think he'll be just fine in a primary. I think the real interesting dynamic will be post-primary, because now you have a lot of these high-profile Democrats effectively saying to fellow Democrats, let's not vote for a Democrat. In fact, let's not even have one on the ballot. And so that's another dynamic that I think may be even more interesting moving forward. That's going to be the uh, wild card because I can't imagine the conversations that are going on with Kale Weston right now as a Democrat thinking, you know, I'm putting my time, my energy and my money into this. And then we've got the Ben McAdams and Jenny Wilson, probably the two yeah. biggest names for Utah Democrats right now who are saying, forget about them and let's back Evan McMullen, which is really interesting because I think in some regards, Evan McMullen, when he ran last time for president, was just a anything but vote. And now all of a sudden he's got to be something instead of anything but. And he's still anything but. He's still yeah. anything but Mike Lee. So uh -huh. he doesn't really stand for anything that I'm aware of But it's yet. different. It's different being anything but if it's Mike Lee versus Donald Trump. Yeah. And, exactly. and so I think, and now I look, I would be as a party, as a party regular, if I were a Democrat, I would be embarrassed with this movement because, you know, the uh, look, I respect the party, uh, the Democratic Party for their principles, and they have some, and they have traditionally been, you know, on the opposite side of Republicans on a couple of issues, and that would be pro-life versus pro-choice guns versus some control around guns. Evan McMullen is, wants to overturn Roe v. Wade and is pro-Second Amendment. How do you nominate that person as a Democrat or not, or not put your Democrat forward who has the same principles as you have? And furthermore, there are 40% of the ballot, 40% of the races this year in the that were that went unfilled by Democrats. So you have a person who actually filed as a candidate in this race, and they want to throw him off. They don't want to nominate him. He's actually him. a good candidate. And he's a great he's candidate. Yeah, I mean, and, and you well can imagine and these, thought out, yeah. Well, and these behind-the-scenes conversations where they're basically saying, "We want you to not run. We don't want you yeah. in." And you can imagine him saying, "Wait, this is yeah. you're saying that you should not have the Democrat, and we should throw our weight behind a guy who specifically tweeted." We should repeal Roe v. Wade. And that should yeah, be yeah. the Democrat support? Wait. Come and on. I think if you end up lining up, whether you take Becky Edwards, Ali Isom, Senator Mike Lee, you take Evan McMullen, if you were to take their votes, I think if we were to look two or three years down the road, I think they would very much align. And there'd be a few issues that are kind of the hot topics that end up on the news on your nightly headlines. They might differ. But even when you line up Senator Mike Lee and Senator Romney, who seem like they're in vastly different parties, 85% of the time, they vote the same way with their yeah. party. They're, As a matter of fact, they're going to vote the same way. Romney voted more with Trump than Mike Lee has voted with Trump. <laughs> now, I think the biggest question is which party will Evan McMullen caucus with? Uh -huh. Because that, yeah. well, he Ooh. has to say he's going to. And you don't get a hasn't committee. Yet. He, he hasn't, hasn't yet, done that. But, but you will. don't get a committee assignment unless you caucus with one of the yeah. two. Now, do the Democrats really want to say at their convention? We're gonna go. We're gonna bet on this guy. It's gonna be, be close. It's right now. It's 50 Republicans, 48 Democrats, two independents. The two independents caucus with the Democrats. Thus, the Democrats are in majority. If he doesn't, if he says, "I'm not caucusing with either. I'm above the fray," um, how does he get a committee assignment? 
Well, and if you're above the fray, what difference can you make? Which is very little. Well, everything so, in the United <laughs> States Senate is yeah, done in a committee. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about. I want to break those numbers down because Heidi, you alluded to it because uh, we did ask this very question: Is if if Senator Mike Lee is the Republican nominee, who would you vote for with the candidates coming forward? And this is the interesting number: 43% of Utahns said they would vote for Mike Lee, 19% Evan McMullen, and as you as you referenced a moment ago when he ran for president, he was just over 21%. Uh, Kel Weston at 11%, 24% don't know at this point. And I think the polling numbers are going to be interesting to watch because I think there was a big push uh, for Evan McMullen. I think in Utah we thought, you know, it might be the one time that we see a third-party candidate win. But when it came down to it, I think a lot of people who didn't want to vote for Trump held their nose and voted for him because they were worried about not having that Republican representation or what they wanted. Or So I, I don't know. When it comes down to it, I think people are used to checking their R box or their Democrat box. And I think that people who may be saying right now that they would vote for Evan McMullen may not when it comes down to it in the actual no November election when real issues are being talked about, kids are back in school and they're thinking through the issues, will they take the chance? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So interesting. Uh, we've, we've talked a little about influence today, too, and we talked about where we will have that influence. I want to get to another polling question that I thought was so interesting about influence in the state of Utah. And we did ask Utahns who they felt, what elected leader or group uh, of leaders has the most influence. And Derek, I want to start with you on this one, because we asked about some of our key leaders in the state. And this is so interesting. 32% of Utahns said the governor has the most influence. 33% uh, said legislature, legislative leaders. That's very interesting how, how it kind of split both ways. It is. And I think it's a lot of it is who you're who you're talking to. I mean, a lot of times um, the average person will have more of a connection perhaps with their legislator, but still it's it remains largely unknown, I think, for most people who their legislator actually is. In fact, when I was first elected to the House, um, I had one of the House leadership members say to me. Which I'd forgotten that, Derek, so see, you're right. Point in, point in case, right there. Um, what's interesting, I actually had a leadership member that said to me, Derek, if you ever think that you're like really important or, or whatever, now that you're here in the House, he said, know that probably 2% of the people in your district know who you are. And he goes, and when you've been around as long as I have, he goes, it goes up to about three, maybe four. So people don't necessarily know who their House or Senate member is. And so that's why I find those numbers really interesting, yeah. because the governor obviously is much more high profile when it comes to media and I think general influence. Yeah, so Spencer, I want to, you have a comment first? No, 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 go, go ahead. So I want to see how this may have changed over time because over this last two years, we have seen a lot more of our legislature uh, in terms of big issues, but also I'm just kind of curious because uh, in 2018, Utahns voted to give them the power to call themselves back into special session. Has that changed the power dynamic between the executive branch, legislative branch? Look, the power, the power dynamic went out the window during John Huntsman administration, um, and it hasn't ever come back. I can't believe that, that Governor Herbert didn't just kicking and screaming speak to the media and to the public about this separation of powers calling back into special session. But I will tell you the most interesting thing about those numbers. We typically think that the governor has the bully pulpit and they can go out and speak to people. And those numbers don't indicate that. Those numbers don't indicate that the governor has a pulpit to bully from. And that is, I think that is what you're getting to, that the legislature has become the, the governmental entity, the, the branch of government that runs this state. And 
the governor is largely, you know, an ambassador or a, a PR person, a ribbon-cutting person. And, and the, all of those, the erosion of the executive branch has occurred, and it really is, it's, I don't think it's healthy uh, that, that each branch isn't, isn't strong. But those numbers indicate that the general public believes that the bully pulpit doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Can I add, this yeah. is, you see this every fall when the budget numbers come out from the governor, and he says, here's my budget, yeah. here's what I think we should do, and the legislature effectively takes it and says, oh, that's cute, as they that's put it like in the sound you hear. Exactly. Yeah. Our paper yeah. shredders firing <laughs> exactly. And I think, actually, the governor's been doing a good job at getting his messaging out on issues he's wanted to, but I think they've been picked up more possibly by the national media on some of these transgender issues happening in schools and his moderation. But I don't know if it's been heard and accepted as much within the state. The legislature's, you know, had the bully pulpit to some extent there. And I don't know if Utah, when they voted to give the powers to the legislature to put themselves back in session, that power of Grayskull, you know, to do. I don't know if voters really knew what they were doing. I was really surprised when that passed, and maybe I'm not giving voters enough credit, but I was surprised that that, you know, balance shifted. But there was and no opposition. Nobody spoke out yeah, against it. We're the, gov the governor, the governor Herbert could have. Yeah. yeah, which was strange to me. And so I don't know if people didn't truly understand what balance it changed, but I do think it has given more power to the legislature. So interesting, Heidi, to, to your point here, just what do you make of this? Because when you break it down by, by party, yeah. uh, the Democrats, 42% of them said it's the legislature. The Republicans said it was the governor by, by, yeah. by a small, 42% of the Democrats. What do you make of that? I don't know. I guess we all see what we want to see sometimes, but I can see how that makes sense. But I do think that legislatively, uh, there is some power there right now that maybe uh, the governor didn't have. I know that this time the legislature was closing out with uh, uh, some hot button issues like the transgender issue that was two days before the caucus, which was right before right. the conventions. And so the legislature had a little bit of power of its own to decide what the talking points were going to be when they met with people at the caucuses two days later, and then the convention's mm -hmm. coming right after. So I think they had some power that otherwise maybe people hadn't thought about. I think what you see in those numbers, Jason, is that Democrats typically don't like the public policy that comes out of the legislative branch uh, in a conservative two-thirds majority uh, Republican legislative branch. And so they're very hyper-focused on the policies that come out of there, and that's why I think their percentage is higher. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to switch gears for a second, even though it's still connected in some way. Talk about um, it, just COVID. We're going to talk about COVID for just a minute because some things have happened in, this, in, in Utah. And, and Derek, we, we asked Utahns as part of our poll uh, what they thought about the governor's uh, response, which uh, was really as of yesterday. The state of Utah is no longer going to re daily report COVID numbers, COVID number, the cases, the hospitalization rate, or the death, uh, the death count. That's not going to happen anymore. And, and Utahns uh, seem to agree that it's appropriate to start treating COVID more like a, more like any other disease with sort of limited impact. In fact, 77% of, of Utahns said, yeah, we're ready for us to kind of get back to normal, get rid of those daily sorts of reminders. And I think you're seeing that not just in Utah, but nationally. In fact, I, I was on two different flights yesterday. And as, as you started the flight, the flight attendant on both talked about the mask mandate and used the word unfortunately. She said, unfortunately, we still have a mask mandate. So I, I think there is this perception out there that, I mean, there's, there's COVID fatigue. And I think, in fact, yesterday, the New York Times said that one of the big problems they have now is we have all these booster shots. We have the vaccines. We have everything ready to go. We have the supply. We no longer have demand. People don't want it. So we now have a demand 
problem. And I think we see that in Utah. We see that across the country. And I think uh, the, the fatigue has set in, and I think people are ready to move on. Uh, interesting. Uh, to this very point, uh, Utah is one of 20 states that has joined a lawsuit to try to end masks, for example, on transportation, including, as you mentioned, on airplanes. Yeah, Senator mm -hmm. Mike Lee has been pretty vocal about that. And I think there's 10 airlines that are calling for that now. And I think largely for them, it's it's business. They don't want to go to work every day and have their flight attendants fighting with people because when you're at home and you can go to Target and go to school or go to work wherever you want and you don't need a mask and you feel like it's over and then you get a, have to get on a plane and wear a mask or not wear a mask or you want your nose to sneak out and breathe a little, mm -hmm. I think it's a big fight for them. I'm sure it's frustrating. And so I think uh, that's why a lot of people are calling on the president right now to say, okay, let's just get it done. And when you see pictures coming from G7 meetings or NATO meetings with some of the you know most important political people in the world meeting together, chatting, high-fiving, hugging without their masks, people are like, okay, let's just be done with it and move on. Yeah. It's, I think there's some great things, though, that came out of COVID, if you can say that. I think our research uh, and our ability to get a, a drug to market quickly and the, the type of vaccines that were developed are going to, they were, they were game changers for the future. You know, it was awful we went through this, but we're not going to be ill-prepared like we were this time. Um, and so, you know, look, in another 100 years, uh, they'll have another one of these and, and we'll, we'll have to deal with it. And hopefully the research will have uh, proven to be sufficient. Mm -hmm. Interesting, uh, Derek, uh, uh, as we ask Utahns, when do you think life will get back to normal? It's interesting, we've been asking this for some longitudinal data f mm -hmm. through most of it. Uh, it's, it's interesting, 65% of Utahns this last week said uh, we, we we're able to get back within the next year. They don't think it's gonna be longer than 12 months. I think so. I think we're seeing the end of that now. And I think most people are acting. I mean, it's in fact, for most of us sort of participating in most things in, in our life, we don't really see anything involving COVID. I mean, we sort of feel like it's people are at least acting like it's over, whether in fact it is from a number standpoint. I don't know that that's the case yet, but but I think we're going to see that here in the next in the next couple months, if, yep. if not. Did you give them a choice? Because I think they would have all said tomorrow. <laughs> well, well, and I guess it depends on how you define normal, too, because getting yes. back to doing your normal activities, but I think normal isn't going to be normal for a long time. I think we're going to see the domino effect of how our kids did in school or mental health yes. problems yes. or drug and alcohol mm -hmm. problems. I think we've created a whole new set of problems we're going to have to deal with that aren't our normal uh, supply chain, everything else. So, and inflation from yeah. all the money that COVID yeah. sort of mm. yeah. forced us to... To, to, to put out there. Uh -huh. uh, uh, Heidi, just our, our last response to this too, it was to, to Spencer's great point. We did 17% of Utah said, I, I'm back to normal now. And I think a lot of people may have said, I've been back to normal the whole two years doing whatever the heck I want. So uh, interesting. I don't know where they fall, fell from a party standpoint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which party's probably here back to normal. That's gonna have to be the last comment there. Thank you so much for the great insights this evening. Thank you for listening to the Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.